I'll start in verse 19 today. John 4, verse 19. It says, The Lord, sorry, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, and when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him to eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of this, thy sayings, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. What a transformation, right? So just as Kind of backing up a, a little bit into there, I, I was looking at some of this, and there are, I, even when we move on from this, there will be many things in this passage that we could have looked at um, much deeper, or taken points out of this, and so I just want to look at a couple more that I saw this week as I was looking at it again, um, and then get start looking at the disciples as we carry on here but in verse 20 
she's asking for some clarity on this issue. It says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say, as in the Jews say, that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And you just see, here's a woman, she had just acknowledged Jesus, I per, she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. She sees this man who knows the scriptures, who clearly is a godly man. He's revealing things to her. And so she's taking this opportunity to ask a question. She has questions because there's all these differences between what is taught in her city regarding God and what's taught down in Jerusalem and in Judea regarding God. And she sees the differences. We're here in a Baptist church and there's people down the road. Well, I'd like to say they're in the church, but I don't think there's anybody there. <laughs> Normally, <laughs> there would be people down the road at the Methodist church. There's people down in Kakabeka at the Catholic church or at a Presbyterian church or Anglican or whatever. There's all these different churches and there's differences. And people see that there's differences and they wonder why. What's And if there's differences, I hate to burst anyone's bubble, but it means that one of us is wrong. <laughs> I, I hate to say that, but Somebody has to be wrong if we don't agree on, this, on whatever the topic is. And so this woman realizes somebody has to be wrong here. It can't be both ways. And so she sees this man and she thinks he knows something. There is something to this man that he has wisdom beyond the people that I normally am around. And so she asks for clarity from him. And maybe that's a good example to us of when there's somebody in our life or walks into our life at some point that is clearly a godly person, clearly knows their Bible well, has studied and is careful, that would be a good person to seek some clarity on some of these issues from. And when we're doing that, now Jesus is a bit of an uh, exception here. He, he is the Word of God. But if anybody's going to answer biblical questions, man, they better have a biblical answer, right? They need to be able to turn to their Bible and show you why what they're saying is so. But we need to be ready and willing to learn when there's a person there that is able and willing to teach. <laughs> and I, so I just see the heart of this woman is she sees there's issues and th she sees that there's somebody that can answer some of these issues. And so she asks the question. Man, he does not answer the way she thinks he's going to, does, does he? <laughs> he says, neither. <laughs> Technically, he could have answered that Jerusalem was 
the correct place of worship. That's where God established his temple back as we go through the Old Testament. He could have gone through all of that and could have shown her when and where and why God chose that place. But he knew that that wasn't really the real heart of the issue. That wasn't what she needed as an answer. She didn't need an answer of where. She needed the answer of of who and why. And so he pointed her to what was about to come. Where, and we pointed to that last week, where the time comes when it's, it's not going to be about a place. It's going to be, God wants us to worship wherever we are. Wants all men everywhere to pray and to seek him. And we don't have to s- travel to some place for these sacrifices and these things. It's just, we can serve God where we are, but we just need his word to guide us. And we get down to verse 24. It says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I'm just thinking about that that statement of you must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we get we hear people lost people tend to think all religions are basically the same that they all point to the same god. And we're just using a different name for god, we're using some different sources, but all of it is leading to the same place, to the same conclusion that one isn't any better than another. This week I heard of a Lutheran church that had on their sign that they can change the, the message on their sign outside, had a quote from the Quran on their billboard outside their church recently and there's a term sadly called chrislam where they're combining christianity and islam together because they don't know the truth they don't know how distinct and how how separate God requires us to be in. I'm just going to look at a couple of of verses. God talking about that distinction. Um, Jesus says that you must worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth, like I said, there aren't many truths. There is only one truth. When we disagree, I'm looking for the wrong thing. I'm looking for Deuteronomy and I keep flipping the wrong way. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. A very distinct, straightforward statement. The Lord our God 
is one Lord. It doesn't go by a bunch of different names. It doesn't go doesn't reveal himself through different religions. There is just one God and one alone. Jesus quotes that verse in Mark 12, verse 29 as well. I'm not going to turn to that one this morning. but And then in Exodus chapter 20, God describes himself The first few verses, Exodus 20, verse 1 says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. In verse 5, again it says, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. There is no other God that we can serve that points to the same place. There is no other religion that we can follow to get to the same place. He's a jealous God. There is no other gods. There is no other names. And of course, hopefully you know John 14, verse 6. Which says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Christianity is a very exclusive religion. There is no other religion, as far as the Bible says, that can get us to God, that can get us to heaven. If you're trying to follow anything else, it is not going to get you there. Only by coming in, through faith of, in Jesus Christ can we get to the Father? So Christianity is very exclusive. And Jesus, in that verse, he says, I am the truth. He said that you must, God requires that we worship him in truth. There is only one way. Now listen to just a brief part of um, John MacArthur. Thing this week and he's describing salvation and he says the free offer of the gospel is broad enough to include the worst sinner who believes but it's also narrow enough to exclude the most moral most religious person who doesn't believe. There's no such thing as a good person in God's eyes. And there is nothing that we can do that is good enough to get us into God's presence outside of just believing in Christ's sacrifice for our sins. That's the only answer. It's the only way. 
let's turn to this one passage, Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9. says, the people, this people, draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And when we're teaching just things that men have come up with, we're teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, when we come up with our own ideas of what it means to serve God, what who God is and what he's like and what he requires. None of that honors God and he doesn't accept any of that. He says, in vain they worship me. You're not truly worshiping God when you're doing that thing and it's in vain. There's no value in it and it's not going to get you God's presence. It's not going to get you salvation by doing those things. Back to John 4, verse 27. It says, And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? So the disciples, if you remember, Jesus comes and he sits down at the well, the disciples go into town to get food. And he has this whole conversation with this woman at the well. And now, as he's wrapping up that conversation, the disciples come back, and they see him talking with this woman. And you can picture they're coming from a distance, and they see this interaction. They can see this active conversation that Jesus is having with her. And they're wondering... Why? What in the world is he doing talking to that Samaritan woman? But when they show up, it says, no man said. <laughs> no man, none of them dared question this conversation or what, what was going on. They just kind of show up and they're quiet. I wonder what they're thinking. If, are they thinking back I should have stayed in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sent the disciples out to preach, it says in verse, Matthew 10 verse 5, says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep, of the host of Israel. When Jesus sent the disciples out preaching, he specifically told them not to go to the Samaritans. And I wonder if that's kind of where their, their minds are going as he's, they see Jesus in this in-depth conversation with this woman. They're wondering why he's having this conversation. I wonder... If, he, if they're having similar thoughts to that of some of the Pharisees when they looked at the people that Jesus 
ended up spending time with. In Luke chapter 5, verse 30, it says, But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But those religious people questioned who Jesus spent his time with. He spent his time with sinners because it was the sinners that needed the message of salvation. Was that saying that the Pharisees didn't need the gospel? They didn't need to hear the message of salvation because they were already righteous? It's not that they were already righteous. It, it, they were self-righteous. They thought that they were righteous. Jesus can only offer salvation once we recognize ourselves as sinners. If we think we're righteous, there's no salvation available to us. So that's really what Jesus is saying. It's not that they didn't need salvation. It's that they didn't consider themselves sinners. And so he couldn't yet reach them until they came to that conclusion. But I wonder if the disciples were questioning just like that. The Pharisees questioned Jesus spending time with sinners. And Jesus had talked to the disciples about not preaching to the Samaritans. Are they thinking the same kind of things? What's he doing talking with this kind of person, with one of them? I would say they did really well to hold their tongue in this situation, to not question what Jesus was doing. Proverbs 30, verse 32 says, If thou hast thought evil, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. <laughs> Stick something in there and bite your tongue. Don't let those evil thoughts come out of your mouth. Psalm 39, verse 1 speaks similarly. that I said, I will take heed unto my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. And that's important for us to realize that when we're questioning something, when we are thinking negative thoughts about some situation that we don't fully understand, maybe it's just bite your tongue just wait, <laughs> see what's going on before you open your mouth. So I think the, the disciples did well, even though they're, they're doubtful of what's happening. And the passage is clear that they are. They're wondering. But they were wise enough to stay silent and, and just wait for the answer. Because Jesus is certain to give them an answer. We carry on here and we see the woman just, she gets up and leaves. And she's going in the city to tell the men in the city about Jesus. Maybe kind of hasty, afraid that he's going to pack up and leave, that he'll disappear on her. She leaves the water pot and takes off into the city. And there's not a lot of conversation recorded here between Jesus and the disciples before. 
she comes back with the men of the city to see Jesus. But it's that conversation between Jesus and the disciples that I want to look at for the next few minutes here. Verse 31. It says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, have, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Remember when they showed up at the well? It says Jesus sat thus at the well. So we've had a couple of hard days picking rocks at the farm. You're out in the sun, walking. We did a, a whole 15 kilometers. That's not a great distance. You guys can't hear a word I'm saying. Sorry. <laughs> picking rocks at the farm, my, my phone records my steps and gives a rough, rough estimate of distance. And so we did about 15 kilometers back and forth in this field. You know, by the end of the day, how you feel? You know what you look like when you sit down at the end of that day, <laughs> right? This is Jesus sitting down. He's tired. He's hot. He's thirsty. He's hungry. You don't feel like getting up to do any of that. And when the woman shows up at the well, says, can you get me a drink? This is what Jesus looked like when the disciples carried on in this town. He's tired, he's slumped over, hot, hungry, thirsty. But when they get back, there's nowhere for me to see. He's up and he's talking with the woman. He's having a conversation and he looks refreshed. He's happy. no longer hungry, he's no longer thirsty, and they're looking at each other, who brought him something that we didn't, did somebody feed him already? And they can't figure it out, right? You ever been too busy to eat? <laughs> you ever been too excited to be hungry? <laughs> That's Jesus at this point. Is he forgot about being hungry and thirsty. He's got food that's more important. Think of Jason at this farm where we're, we've been, and he forgets to eat. He gets out in a field, and he's doing something, and... He doesn't think of his stomach, and when he gets back, he's grumpy because he hasn't eaten in many, many hours. And his wife has to remind him that he's grumpy because he hasn't eaten. I think there's a word that's called hangry, right? But that's not, that's not the case with Jesus. He, he's refreshed as he's talking to this woman. He says, I have food that you don't know of. As not, he wasn't carrying a granola bar in his pocket. <laughs> He's, my food 
is to do the will of God. And if you've ever been in a situation where you've had an opportunity to witness to somebody that actually is receiving what you're saying, there's a refreshing and an excitement in that. You, can, you walk away from that situation. Like, it's a high that isn't achievable any other way, right? It's this refreshing that's just undescribable because God fulfills us in that. And that's what Jesus is experiencing. He's being completely fulfilled in this opportunity to change this woman's life, to turn her heart to God. And Jesus starts to explain this to the disciples in a, a little different way than what maybe we are used to seeing and thinking. Verse 35 says, Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, already to harvest. You look around here, anybody that's planting crops, they're about yay high right now. <laughs> the fields, some of them aren't even, the guy up the road here was still getting ready to plant last week. So whatever he's planting probably hasn't even sprouted yet. We planted a potato field and we had to go dig up a potato to see what, if it was doing anything because nothing's showing above ground yet. This is what Jesus is describing. It's like, these guys are thinking, we've just planted. And Jesus says, it's ready to harvest. And they don't understand. You tell me that what we just planted last week is ready to harvest this week? I don't think so. But Jesus says, there's other guys been out planting long before you were here. Those fields are ready. You're not looking because you don't expect anything to be ready to harvest, because you didn't plant that field. I have been driving around, and there's guys baling hay already. <laughs> that harvest is ready, right? But somebody else planted ahead of time in the Samaritan town, and Jesus points and says, look, look at the people. I wonder if those men from the city that the woman went to go get are already on their way. And Jesus can point to these men that are walking towards them. He says, lift up your eyes and look. The fields are ready. These guys are ready to hear the gospel. These are ready to receive Christ. Where the people, the people who should have been ready, the Jews back in Judea that completely rejected him, they should have been ready. They should have known, they should have accepted him for who he was, but they didn't. It's these people who nobody was even looking at, nobody was even considering, and they're the ones that received him. They were the ones that were ready to be harvested. They were, their hearts were ready to receive the gospel. When we look at people in our world, you don't know what their hearts are like. You don't know who planted a seed at what point in the past. Sometimes we think we're the ones planting seeds. 
That's not always the case. There's been a seed planted years ago, and it's your job to start harvesting some of those. We need to start finishing telling the gospel to people, expecting them to respond to that gospel. These disciples weren't expecting anybody in this place to respond to the gospel. But they would if they were just given that opportunity. We need to give people the opportunity to respond. There's a detail in here in this next verse. Verse 36 says, He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. It says there's, He that reapeth receiveth wages. God is just in dealing with people. I ran a business for a number of years and I laid a, a girl off that was working for us right before Christmas because business had been slow for a long time leading up to that, the months leading up. And the bank account was dwindling and the business wasn't coming in and Christmas is typically a slow time. And so I laid her off so that she could collect unemployment. And I know she was upset, and I know her mother was very upset that I would do such a thing. But I said to her, isn't it better for me to give you this layoff notice so that you can collect your unemployment that you've paid into than to keep you working and not be able to give you a paycheck at the end? <laughs> if I can't pay your wage, what good is keeping you working at the shop? God's just, and he will pay if he gives you a job to do. And he says, he that harvests receiveth wages. There's a reward for doing God's will, for doing the work of God. Jeremiah chapter 22. I, I was given a new Bible, but I can't use that new Bible when I'm preaching because this one just opens to those, the book where I want to. The new one doesn't do that anymore, or yet. <laughs> anyway, Jeremiah 22, verse 13 says, Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, that uses his neighbor's services without wages, and giveth him not for his work. Imagine hiring, kind of talked about that in, in doing our roof. So we're talking about, we're going to hire the people from the church to, to replace the roof because we don't have to pay them. <laughs> it's cheaper, right? Well, the principle of this is that, no, you're supposed to pay the person that's doing the work. James Chapter 5 says a very similar thing, giving us the same kind of instruction. James 5, verse 4 says, Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is 
of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. People are crying because you're not paying them the wages that you owe them. And God is not like that. God gives a reward for those who do his work. And we don't have time to get into the details of that, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 deals with that in a fair bit of detail. God does reward those who are doing his work. This last part for today, verse 39, says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And saith unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. They believed. They believed the woman. And judging from the conversation that we saw Jesus have with this woman, She's not a woman with a great reputation in town. Quite possibly. (laughs) She's had five husbands. She's on the sixth. People might not have the highest view of her. Have you ever experienced people that have known your past (laughs) doubt your testimony? of when you're trying to give them the gospel. I think that's what, for this woman, but these people didn't do that. They believed when she came professing that she's found the Christ. This man told me all that I ever did. She's proclaiming that Jesus showed her her sin. She's admitting to the world the wrong that's been exposed in her life. And it's through that that she's able to tell people to come and see this guy. Can you imagine? This guy showed me all that I ever did wrong. You've got to come and see him. <laughs> do I really want to go see this guy? <laughs> Is he going to do the same to me? But they come, and he does. And the response is that now it's not just your word, your changed life, but he's changed our lives too. We've heard him ourselves. I've experienced the salvation that he offers. If we can be like this woman, when we go into the world, the world sees Christians as these self-righteous people that are just, telling everybody how wrong they are and how much better we are than them. That's the view that the world has of Christians, but that's not 
how we ought to be, we should, God showed me how wrong I am or how much sin I have in my life. I should be coming to people as Paul did, the chief of sinners, and look what God did for me. Look at the offer that he is offering to me of salvation. And he'll do the same for you. It's a completely different way of coming at people. We need to have that attitude that this woman had so that we can have the results that this woman had. This woman is responsible for changing that town, for drawing the crowd of men out of that town. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't the disciples. It was this woman went to that town and proclaimed the change that Christ made in her life. We need to do that. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see ourselves as you see us. Help us to be willing to admit the sin in our lives, Lord. Help us to be willing to proclaim that to the world so that we can lift up Christ and reveal the mercy, the forgiveness that's available there, Lord. Help us to, as the Pharisees didn't realize, but Jesus came to save sinners, not the righteous. We thank you for it, Lord. Help us to understand, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.